1: something strange is happening on may 30th rogue planet presents all the strange 2020 a virtual online expo highlighting and celebrating ufos extraterrestrial life ghosts bigfoot you know all the strange join us on may 30th as we showcase a series of fun presentations delivered by a lineup of awesome humans who are fascinated by the strange and get this all the strange 2020 is a 100 free event so jump over to all and register now
0: This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Spread.
1: In 1996, I had the first of my four UFO sightings, uh, but this was the big one—the first one. Uh, this pretty much blew the doors off my reality. It took place in Montana, and uh, the story leading up to the sighting is almost just as good as uh, the sighting itself. In 96, I was 20 years old, and I worked very hard for a baseball scholarship, and that was taken away from me. And instead of uh, wallowing in self-pity in my bedroom, I convinced a friend of mine to move to Montana. Uh, When I left high school, most of the guys were going to either Colorado or Arizona, one or the other. And I said, you know what, let's change this up. And I convinced a buddy of mine to go to Montana. When we were out in Montana during our first month, uh, it was in the middle of winter. We sat in an empty apartment for a month, knew nobody. And then this man just started knocking on our door all the time. He was absolutely nuts. We knew it, but um, we had nothing to do. And we entertained him. He just showed up every day sat in our living room and just spewed conspiracy theories telling us that 1999, December 31st, was the end of the world and we should get ready and that AIDS and cancer was mainlined into society by the American government. You know, as 20-year-old kids, this this was entertaining to just sit there and listen to this guy rather than just stare at the walls and wait for the snow to melt. Anyway, this guy just kept talking about this cabin he owned up in the north part of Montana And this is where he was going to get ready for Y2K. This is where him and these people on his commune were going to prepare for the end of the world. So we listened to this guy for about a month straight. He'd stop in every day and just spew the same nonsense. And then one day, he asked us if we would like to take a ride, if we would like to go to this cabin. Now, Montana's a big state. In the southwestern part where we were, we were going to have to drive to the Canadian border. And if you can picture a map this is exactly like driving from new york city to cleveland ohio it was a long way but we were bored and we jumped in my car one night and we started driving and around midnight uh, the guy actually gave us some wrong directions i think on purpose and um, we got stuck in the snow we were not going anywhere so we had to start walking and we started walking through the montana wilderness in the middle of winter with somebody we knew was certifiably crazy Uh, and it was me and my friend and we just followed this man as he just kept telling us this is the way to my cabin Uh, if we don't make it to my cabin we're pretty much going to freeze to death so uh, your car's stuck you're going nowhere and if you don't follow me you're basically dead so we started following this guy and uh, right off the bat he jumped off the road and we started walking through the woods and we knew we were lost and we were in big trouble Um, He just kept firing off, um, you know, all about the conspiracy theories and, you know, wait till you meet this person tomorrow when, uh, you know, the sun comes up. And we hadn't even gotten to the cabin yet. We were just afraid for our life. So um, as we were walking through the woods, uh, we were starting to give up hope. And he saw a clearing. And we finally came out into this clearing where he could, um, you know, gain his bearings again and find out if we were truly lost or not. At this point, it was about 3 in the morning, and uh, we were under a pitch-black Montana sky. I mean, the big sky in Montana, if you've never seen it, is just, it's unbelievable. You know, even if you're in a life-threatening moment, uh, it'll make you forget about everything, just the beauty of it all. And underneath this huge, crystal-clear black sky with just stars that you could reach out and touch, um, there we were, just post-holing across, you know, two feet of snow going a couple feet at a time, just, you know, making no headway. And we were, my friends and I were very angry, very angry at this guy. But what we were going to do. So anyway, right at that moment, he goes, you guys don't believe me that AIDS was mainlined at the society by the American government? And you don't believe me that Y2K, it wasn't Y2K at the time, but December 31st, 1999 isn't the end of the world. He's like, you don't believe in any of that? And we were like, the guy's name was Todd. We were like, Todd, we're like, just shut the fuck up and just get us to your cabin. He goes, I'm not moving another foot. We're not going anywhere until you tell me what that is. And then he pointed up to the sky. And reluctantly, my friend and I looked up, and there it was. It was huge. It was almost the size of the full moon, and the moon was almost full that night. And it was a a circular object. Uh, It was just this... Piercing white on top and green on the bottom, with just this red strobe going across it, just you know pulsating across. And my friend and I looked up and we saw this thing, and immediately we just fell back in the snow. Like just you know, the snow was basically up to our waist. So when we just fell over, we were you know just laying there, and we were looking up in the sky, just looking at this thing. It wasn't moving at all, but it, the light was just you know the green and the white and the red strobe, and we could tell. Um, you know, from this, that this, this guy had seen this, this guy, Todd had seen this so many times. It was almost a bore to him. And we laid there for, you know, about a minute. And then all of a sudden this thing just started dancing all over the place. If you could picture the Rocky Mountains, uh, in the distance under the moonlight, you know, with just jagged snow covered peaks. And, uh, you know, there's, there's the moonlight just illuminating off them. Here was this thing went from just hanging over our head to within a split second it was just dancing up and around the Rocky Mountain Peaks before coming to a quick rest and it would stop for a few seconds and then just start dancing above the Rocky Mountain Peaks again and then all of a sudden it shot back up into the sky and it just stood stationary my friends and I my friend and I literally had tears just streaming down the sides of our face you know it was like a combination of terror and awe and we didn't even know what to think and um, the guy Todd was standing right next to us the whole time and he goes, um, he goes, you think that's messed up? He always called us boys. He's like, boys, you think that's messed up? He's like, there's usually four or five of those things all flying around in formation. He goes, that's why my wife and my daughter won't come back up here anymore. They're too scared. you know. And that's when he told us, wait till you meet my friends tomorrow. They'll tell you stories about these things that you won't believe. Well, we ended up making it to Todd's cabin that night. And, um, you know, I'm cutting through... A pretty grand story just to get to the back half of this where we met somebody else who actually had a uh, basically a run-in with one of these objects uh, it wasn't essentially the object that we saw um, but it was a uh, as this man described it not todd but one of his friends described uh, it was a circular craft um, and his, he and his other friend were hunting one day And they were hunting near Todd's cabin, which is where we were getting to the entire time. We were walking to Todd's cabin. Um, But this was at another point, and these these other two people were hunting near Todd's cabin when they saw this, like, metallic, like, silverish, um, you know, circular, um, you know, it was a lenticular craft. It, It was like a flying saucer. I just hate saying those words. But he said it floated in over the trees, just above treetop level and this other gentleman and his friend were just watching this thing, and, uh, which wasn't a good decision, which I'm about to say, uh, th- these guys made a bad decision, when, uh, the other guy took a shot at this thing, uh, it wasn't too far away, you know, he said it was, you know, maybe 100, 150 feet off the ground, and the one guy took a shot at it, and, uh, he said, you know, he didn't know if he hit it, but he said that the craft actually buckled after he shot, and, um, he saw that after he he shot at this thing, that uh, it started moving toward him. So these guys who were in the same clearing um, that my friend and I and Todd were walking through, um, they just ran for cover. They ran for the tree line uh, when they saw this thing slowly starting to move over the trees and start following them in their direction. So um, while they were in the trees, uh, this craft was pretty much just scoping for them, just hovering over the trees. Like, You know, just trying to find out exactly where they were on the forest floor. And he said at the very last moment um, the craft found them. It was hovering right overhead as they were like pretty much hugging a tree, just trying not to be seen or heard or anything. And uh, he said that the bottom of this craft opened up. And out of the bottom of it um, spilled this liquid, this very viscous, gelatinous red liquid, um, and it got all over him. It got all over the one man and then got on the arm of the other man. And when this guy who was telling me this story, I, it was now about a year and a half after this happened to him, he was riddled in tumors. I mean, he his whole his whole back was just, it was gross. He showed me his friend who got hit in the hand and the arm. His hand was all red. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever this stuff was. I mean, if it wasn't radioactive, it was extremely poisonous. Um, so between Todd, the guy that took us up to the cabin who showed us the initial UFO, and his friends who told us this story about getting hit with this material that came out of the bottom of this craft, uh, you know, I asked him and my friend asked him, what, what do you think this was? You know, was this, is this what we think it is? Is it not from here? These, these guys didn't even want to hear it. They were conspiracy theorists through and through. They were getting ready for the end of the world. Uh, They thought it was the American government, you know. There was no other culprit in the world than the American government. Even if a straight-up alien just came up and and looked at them face-to-face, they would still think it was the American government. But um, we ended up leaving there, and uh, years later, um, my wife and I, my now-wife, ended up moving back to Montana and uh, the people i was living with back then you know i had new friends and, and they were like pat you tell this crazy story about being up north in montana and and, and all these ufo's and stuff happening and he's like we got the weekend off let's go up there and i was like oh man i'm like like i said it's a 9 hour ride but we did my wife and i and some friends got up uh got in the car and drove back up there and we ended up meeting up with some people who knew of todd and knew of this other gentleman and the stories they told were were even more outrageous. I, I won't even get into it because it'll, um, you know, lessen um, the validity of what I'm telling. But uh, basically, um, what they were telling my, my now wife and my friends years later when we went back up there, it, it scared me and it scared my wife and it scared my friends so bad that we took off. We, we lasted up there maybe four hours. We drove nine hours up there and lasted four hours because these people were so... Still wrapped up in government conspiracies and you know and this and that, but um all I will say is that uh, they call Montana Big Sky Country for a reason. And um, you know, if you look on uh, you know a map where cities are lighted up and are lit up, I should say, uh, and and you see the power usage of, of each area in the country, Montana is nothing. It's just black. And um, if you ask anybody in Montana, I would say one out of five people. Uh, will tell you a great UFO story. Um, You know, the Great Falls missile silo is out there, which, you know, carried the nukes in the late 60s. Uh, They have missile silos all over Montana that nobody knows about. Um, You know, and in the Great Falls uh, case of 1967, when the UFO came in and just shut all 10 missiles down, uh, made them non-operational, it it really is. I'll tell you one thing. If you want to go and possibly see a UFO... In the lower 48 states, Montana is probably one of the top three places to go. But this was the story that started it all. After after seeing this, um, you know, I didn't get into UFOs uh, heavy right off the bat after seeing that. I did grow into a couple years in my 20s and do stuff. But it was in my late 20s and early 30s that I was like, after seeing a couple more really bizarre um, flying, unidentified flying objects, as I should say, um, that the, the doors were open with this, but it was that first encounter uh, that really, like I said, blew the doors off my reality um, and Just to reiterate one more time, it was this thing was the when we initially saw it the first UFO that my friend and I fell back into the snow, you know it was huge. you looked at the moon, you could picture a big moon, this was almost that size, white on top, green on the bottom with a red strobe, and just it danced all over the sky, uh, came to a rest, and as this guy said there 's usually like four or five of them flying around in formation up there. So if you ever want to check it out, uh, go to Montana, northwest corner. You know, hang out there for uh, a couple nights during the summer, during some clear, clear black nights, and uh, you got a high probability of seeing something. But that's that story. I guess the best way to fully understand exactly what I saw and experienced uh, late one night back in 2014, we have to go back three years prior to 2011, and what a very good friend of mine saw in that exact location. Uh, This is the very northwest corner of New Jersey, uh, in a rural area on a little river called the Musconet Kong River. And my friend, who we'll call Mark, uh, is a bunch of years older than me, a very prominent businessman and an upstanding member of the community. So when he talks, people tend to listen, and when he decided to drop this story on me one day, uh, I was shell-shocked, to say the least. But Mark knew of my interest in the UFO topic, and he heard me have conversations about it from time to time, and even partook in some of those conversations. But I had no idea that for three years he'd been living with this bottled-up experience that rocked him to the core. Um, He had never told anybody about it which is what he preceded the story with pat i've never explained this to anybody Uh, i don't even think you're going to believe me Um, but ever since he told me the story the first time uh, and many times after he has cried sobbed as soon as he started telling the story because it was apparently so overwhelming Um, but as he tells it he and his brother were fishing one day in the river they both had uh, hip waders on so they were standing in the water and he said they kept hearing this high whizzing sound, like zzz. And he and his brother just kept looking at each other, not knowing what to make of it. He said after a few minutes, he had the compulsion to look to his right. And he said standing there, in the water, right next to him, was this eight-foot-tall half mantis half-man, almost like looming over him. He said he couldn't believe what he was looking at, obviously. But he also said in the first couple instances that he felt that this thing couldn't believe that it was actually being seen. Um, Mark immediately fell back into the water out of pure fright. Uh, he said he lost control of all his bodily functions. And he said as he was looking at it, it was looking back at him and peering deep into his soul. It could feel all his emotions and read all his thoughts. And this experience lasted no more than 15 seconds. But I stopped him right there to, uh, to ask him, you know, What did this thing look like exactly? He said it was way more insect like than it looked like man, but it had like the physical maneuvers and the motor functions of like a human being. Um, I asked him, what did he feel? Was this, uh, you know, did he feel like it was good or bad? And he said it was just too overwhelming. He didn't feel any evil coming from it, but he said what I thought to be the most interesting it was like looking at God. He said there was like this body length halo around it, um, like this orange light. Um, And he said within an instant, after the 10 or 15 seconds this lasted, uh, the entity just disappeared, like in the snap of a finger. I had him stop again to explain how this happened when it was standing just directly in front of him. And it came down to a theory that we kind of both had, where life exists on different frequencies. And human life exists on a frequency that we're all familiar with. But when we go back to this thing kind of not being able to believe that it was being seen, I have a feeling that it could have been standing right next to him the whole time, but it was just on a different frequency that we don't pick up. So I asked him, you know, what happened next? And he said after it disappeared, he looked to his brother and he could tell immediately that his brother saw it as well. His brother and he were very close their whole life, but since that moment, when they saw this thing, he and his brother have never spoken again. He said his brother took off and left Mark there, trying to claw his way out of the water. And Mark eventually made it back to um, his car and tried to contact his brother, who was long gone by then. And he said since then, his brother has answered the phone a few times, but will not discuss it. And will not even have a relationship with Mark anymore. Now, I asked Mark many questions about what exactly happened in this 10 and 15 seconds. Um, and he just said that this thing peered so deep into him that he was just paralyzed with with fright. Um, so this brings us to 2014, three years later, when I had a very... Uh, Remarkable experience in that exact same area. I mean, we're talking a hundred yards away from where Mark had this sighting of the mantis, man and I took my dog for a walk one night and we went into an old abandoned campground that was right there and I decided to cut off the trail and walk into the woods a little bit and When I started looking into the woods, I saw this very bright orange orb-like light it was about 75 yards away And I just kept thinking for for a little while that it was a garage light, you know. Uh, But I realized I knew this area very well, and I knew there was no houses back there. And it definitely wasn't somebody with a flashlight, because this orange light kept going from the forest floor up into the tree and then coming back down. So it was was moving up and down about 40 feet just over and over again. Uh, The floor of the forest was very flat, so I sat there and just looked at this thing. As I was looking at it, I could tell it was moving a little closer. Uh, you know, not each time I blinked, but it, I could tell the light was getting brighter. It was, it was a very uh, weird orange. It would go from dark to light, uh, almost like it was reflect, a refracting light and then turning it into these, these different bright...
2: Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at Burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year.
0: Your vacation is coming up.
1: ...and dark orange colors. But the other thing that I I found very strange that the whole forest was dead silent. I just noticed in an instant that it was complete silence. And the most incredible part of this is after, I'd say, a minute or two, every four-legged animal in the woods just goes blowing by me on both sides of my periphery. I mean, it was like it went from dead silence to just, like, seeing deer burst by me and hearing, like, other... Creatures just take off right on both sides of me. My dog was just; she wasn't even on her feet anymore. She was just laying there, trembling. And when I looked back and caught focus of this orange light again, um, I saw that it was starting to move towards me at more of a rapid pace. And I was I was petrified. Um, I eventually got to my feet, and without my dog even getting up, I just dragged her out of the woods to where the road of the campground was again, and I saw as the orange orb just started moving right to where I was sitting on the log, and as I stood there, you know, with all the hair on my body standing up, I watched this thing as I just slowly made my way out of the campground back to the main road, and (laughs) it was incredible. This orange light went from just hovering in the woods there to shooting straight up Like right out of the forest, up through the trees, the canopy of the trees, just gone straight up from just hovering there, to it reminded me of a video I saw, one of the best I I think, um, which is a UFO in Jerusalem that just comes down in front of a, a gang of people just surrounding it, and then after you know maybe a minute, just shoots right back up into the sky. After this happened, I contacted Mark and told him about this. And we had gotten together many times after that to do nothing but discuss this. We used, we used to get together maybe once every two weeks and you know, talk about all sorts of things. But now we were getting together twice a week and I became like his therapist where he would just recount the story over and over again and we would break it apart. So I told him one day, I'm like, you know what? I'm like, let me look up if anybody else has seen this thing on the Musconet River. And lo and behold... Uh, There's a gentleman who wasn't far away who made an entire website out of the Mantis Man of the Muscanet Kong River. Apparently this thing has been seen um, multiple times by different people. Um, But the best part about this is that it was really him saying that it was just so light years ahead of anything that he could even comprehend. Um, And he said the way that it just looked like a god with the light around it right before it vanished. Um, I actually wrote a little article about this uh, not too long afterwards and um, put it online in a a town forum. And just by chance, uh, some TV show from the Discovery Channel found it and asked me if I would contact Mark so they could interview him. And they did. And uh, his story has never wavered. Um, And we've broken it apart many, many times. Uh, But it really comes down to what this thing looked like and what it was projecting into him. Um, He said it was definitely a a benevolent force, um, but it was just something that he couldn't understand and he wished he never saw. Uh, And then I asked him, do you really mean that? And he says, no, um, but I've had to live with this now, um, knowing that I'm not crazy and knowing that I have something that I experienced that basically you're the only one I could ever tell. And, um, you know, he went on the TV show Anonymous, who knows who saw it, but he's never explained this story to anybody else uh, in our area or even talk about it. But this all happened in the same, you know, vicinity of like, uh, you know, a 200 yard stretch on the Musconet Kong River. And then down even further, other people have seen this, this mantis man. Um, so I don't know what's going on around that area, uh, but it's very strange
3: Owls are somehow connected to UFOs. I don't say that lightly. After over a decade of obsessive investigation, I am convinced of this connection. As strange as it may seem, people are seeing owls in the highly charged moments of a UFO sighting and within the challenging memories of UFO abduction. This mystery has been the focus of my research. My name is Mike Cleland, and I have explored these connections in my book, the Messengers. At its core, this book is simply a collection of stories, and each is a remarkable real life experience. The Messengers is also my own story of how owls played a role in my life. The Messengers is the first in a trilogy of books. All my books are available on Amazon in paperback, ebook, and very soon as audiobooks.
1: Well, I uh, grew up next to one of the most notorious, creepy, downright scary roads in America. Simply called Shades of Death Road. It's a uh, seven mile stretch uh, winding through the cornfields of northern New Jersey. And even on a clear day, if you hang a right and head down that road, it's like traveling into midnight. The road itself is steeped in hundreds of years of war. I mean, the amount of spirits and specters and uh ghosts to ufos that have been seen down there through the years by people who've reported it people that i know um it's been thrust into the limelight as of uh, as of late um jack osborne and his crew from whatever show they're with traveled down there and had all sorts of problems um equipment malfunction, their car broke down they had a flat tire but they took a few pictures and the one picture of a uh a shadowy figure standing next to the, standing next to a tree um, was really one of the best I've seen of the unexplained on Shades of Death Road through the years. It's, uh, it's a man who they said it was right in front of him, um, but he was not there. But to tell you about my experiences down on Shades of Death Road, I should probably uh, precede that with uh, giving you a little history on the road. Uh, it was originally a settlement between the Iroquois and the Lenape Indians who had fierce battles back there. And uh, a lot of the area just became a burial ground. So when the white man came in, uh, it caused a lot of tension and friction. And running along the road is a state park, somewhat famous state park, called Jenny Jump. And as the legend goes, uh, a white settler and his daughter were up on the ridge there, uh, surrounded by one of the tribes of Indians. And the white man, not knowing what was going to happen to him or his daughter, convinced his daughter to just run and jump off the cliff. Hence the name Jenny Jump. But the road itself is filled with all sorts of, uh, of landmarks, uh, such as the Fairy Hole, which is a really creepy cave that was uh, only discovered uh, in the early 1900s. Even though people were back there for uh, for quite a long time, it overlooks uh, a lot of the burial ground and is said to have contained all sorts of bones and uh, pottery and you know arrowheads and um, a lot of the bones that they took out of there they really couldn't identify. But the most famous, uh, landmark on there is Ghost Lake, uh, which is where I had one of my experiences. This was a, uh, it seems to be a man-made, uh, pond that was flooded by two men back in the day. Uh, but what they didn't know is that the low-lying area that they flooded was really the big portion of the, uh, the burial ground. Um, there's also an abandoned cabin back there with a piano built into the wall where, uh, you know, a, a lot of young kids, especially when I was young, we would go back there. And uh, even though I never heard anything, some of my friends claimed to have heard some really weird stuff coming out of there, um, especially like the piano music uh, in the dead of winter. But some kids had uh, quite a harrowing experience in the uh, early 80s back there that was written about. Um, if you want to look that up, it's it's quite interesting. It was, uh, you know, an unnerving story. But like I said, the uh, the road itself is filled with all sorts of spirits. You know, they said you know drivers driving down the road would see like a, a, a vision of a deer just running alongside their car, which uh, which would signify that deers were about to come out, and you were supposed to slow down. And you know, there's a a Native American uh, spirit guide that just shows up on the sides of the road. Um, but some of the scarier stuff is uh, you know they had a hanging tree down there. I do know that. The people who lived down there very early on took, uh, you know, justice into their own hands. And there's a, um, a tree that overhangs the road, which apparently a lot of people were hung from. And uh, some people have seen, you know, the remnants of people hanging there in some kind of spirit form. Um, in the 30s, there was a woman who beheaded her husband and uh, buried his body on one side of the road and his head on the other. Um, one of the, uh, the big stories that I grew up with was the girl in the 50s who was coming back from her prom who uh, died in a fiery car wreck. And, um, you know, I would hear all sorts of, of stories from uh, people young and old who would see this girl, you know, walking the road in her, in her burnt prom dress. One of the really weird things was, um, you know, in the 90s, uh, some hikers found hundreds, thousands of um, Polaroids scattered throughout the forest. You know, these Polaroids were just, you know, and it wasn't just one group of hikers. It was um, a couple different groups of hikers at different times found these pictures. And the pictures were of uh, women in distress who were, like, you know, bound up with their eyes, like, half open. You know, you could tell they were alive. A uh, Television, um, same television and different pictures uh, just turned to different channels. Uh, and men, like, laid out on, uh, on steel sheets. From what the uh, from what the police were able to deduce, uh, some of these people in this picture, in these pictures, were uh, of missing people uh, that they have been looking for for quite some time. So, you know, whatever it was, uh, it was quite nefarious. But uh, the road should really have been, you know, paved in blood with all the violence that went on down there. There were bands of, you know, of thieves and, and highwaymen who, uh, you know, if you would get off one of the main roads heading to New York City, uh, you were robbed and killed along this stretch of forest, um, you know, in Warren County, New Jersey. But the first instance that I had down there was, uh, was at Ghost Lake, and I was about 17 years old, and, um, you know, I grew up hurt hearing about this place, and it's only right down the road from me. So I, uh, I convinced my girlfriend um, to drop me off there one night at like 9 o'clock so I could go fishing. I'm a terrible fisherman, but I went down there with a pole and uh, threw my line in the water. And after like 10 or 15 minutes, this, uh, this other fisherman just appeared out of nowhere. You know, if I was standing at 6 o'clock, right around the shoreline at like 10 o'clock was this other fisherman. And the lake itself is, is really, it's a glorified lake. It's more like a pond. But you can see the whole shoreline. You could see everything. It was a crystal clear night. The stars were out. But the mist was all over the place, you know, hanging over the lake and, you know, in the woods. And when I was looking at this guy, this fisherman, you couldn't see the bottom half of his body. I kept looking and, you know, it was really just from the waist up. But the weird thing was, I kept thinking to myself, man, I probably know this guy, you know, I'm from the area. Uh, He looked exactly like me. He had a baseball cap uh, pulled way down. Uh, He had no equipment with him. But every time I started walking towards him, I would walk five feet towards him, you know, along the shoreline. He would move away from me five feet. If I would move 10 yards towards him, it was like a dance. Every time I moved, he would move the exact same distance away from me until I got to the spot where he was originally standing. And now he was completely across the lake. And I was starting to get unnerved. It was really, if the guy was trying to creep me out, he was doing a really good job. But as I sat there looking at him, I still, at, to this point, I could—I looked down at my own legs. I'm like, well, there are my legs. How come I can't see this, the bottom half of this guy? And he um, he ducked behind this cluster of three trees. I'll never forget it. And uh, I thought he was just ducking behind these trees to come out the other side so he can continue down the shoreline fishing. But he walked behind these trees and never came out. And backing up where he was was the state park. There was no roads there. It's not like he was walking to get out. Uh, And it just really just backed up into like a cliff. So unless this guy came with climbing equipment and, um, you know, or was living in the woods, I have no idea where this guy could have went. And you could, you could see the man when he started walking around the tree, you know, it wasn't like, you know, there was foliage covering, covering it all, but I could see him starting to walk around the cluster of three trees. Um, and that was it. And when he, dis- when he disappeared literally right in front of my face, cause I, I wasn't even paying attention to me fishing. I had a line in the water just to make it look like I was, but I just kept watching this guy. And, uh, when he never came back out, I ended up, I don't know how I got the nerve, but I walked all the way around the lake to the tree and continued all the way back to my point of origin. And I couldn't find this guy anywhere. You know, there was no sign of him. You know, there wasn't like, uh, he left no bait or tackle or footprints in the mud or anything. And I was looking. So at that point I, uh, I was, I was scared. And uh, I told my girlfriend to come back and pick me up in two hours. This was about an hour and a half later. And I was like, I, I was finished. I figured I'd uh, just go out to the road and um, wait for her there. You know, even though it was dark and all this, it was a little less scary um, than the lake. Two and a half hours came and she still wasn't there. And I was getting, I was a little perturbed. So I walked. I started walking, you know, the, you know, the distance of a mile, a couple miles back out to the main road, which took a little while. But I made it to a pay phone, and I called her, and she was livid. She was, like, literally sitting by the phone waiting for me to call, hoping I would call. And she got in the car, came to get me. When I got in the car, she, like, reamed me out. She told me, you know, I she's like, you, you I didn't think you were going to last more than an hour there, so I came back. She came back for me. Um, and, you know, on, against her better judgment, she got out of the car, walked down the little ways to Ghost Lake to come get me. And she says... I kept looking for you, but you weren't there. I called your name. I was there for like, you know, a little less than five minutes, but you were not there. And this is like virtually impossible because especially if you're calling my name, calling somebody's name, you could see the whole shoreline. It is not a big lake at all. You know, if anybody's there, you could see him perfectly. Um, so when I told her that I'd been there the whole time and there's no way that she could have missed me, um, she just thought I took off. And uh, I found this almost, even almost as strange as the fisherman itself because, you know, (laughs) how could she come down there and I wasn't there? I made a point of standing right where the trailhead was in the beginning and never really took my eyes off it. So if somebody entered that from that area, and especially calling my name, there's no way that they were going to miss me. And uh, after I told her the whole story about the fisherman and her coming down there and not being able to see me, um, you know, right there in front of her where I told her I was the whole time, uh, she was on nerve to say the least, and I was a little, I uh, I was left scratching my head. But the um, the second instance I had down there was about six months later, and uh, I told a friend of mine about the whole fisherman and you know what I saw, and he's like, look, let's go down to Lenape Lane. You know, they always they claim to see these white orbs down there uh, that eventually turned red. You know, if you know, in some sort of um, you know, weird. In a weird situation, these white these white lights eventually turned red to signify that you know danger is imminent or, or whatnot. But my friend and I went down there, and you know, we hung out next to the car. We took you know a couple brief walks into the woods, maybe like fifty yards, twenty five yards, and then we'll come back out to the uh, come back to the car. But soon we saw this white light in the woods. It looked like a really bright flashlight, and it would like flash on by like a tree, and then flash off. And then in like near another tree, it would flash on and flash off. It it almost looked like, you know, if it was something um, from the norm, it would be a couple people back there choreographing, uh, you know, flashlights going on. And the flashlights would blink like they were trying to like signal like Morse code with the light. But just like the fishermen, and this is what I explained to my friend, we got the nerve. I don't know how we did it, but we started walking towards the light, you know, yelling out who is that and this and that. But the light, never got any closer and never got any farther away and when we noticed this we were really starting to uh you know the old proverbial hair was starting to uh, stand up um but soon the lights didn't weren't just shining from one behind one tree and then moving to another tree they started going off in rapid succession from like one tree to the other and you know this kept going on real quick and when my friend and I saw this, we didn't even say anything to each other we i i i think it was me I just turned around and uh kind of kind of took off back towards the car you know we never saw the the white light turn red uh, I think if I would have saw that um <laughs> I don't know what the hell i would have i would have done but i know i I probably wouldn't have um ever gone back there even in later years it took a it took a while for me to go back there after these two uh these two instances um but when I was about fifteen the very first uh strange um, occurrence I had near Shades of Death Road it was when my father and I went camping at the uh, Jenny Jump uh, State Park and we were like kind of up on the ridgeline so you could look down and see the whole you could see the where the road was, the patches of forest, uh, Ghost Lake, you, you could. it was almost like a model you could see the whole layout of everything and we're sitting up on the ridgeline and um, in this one huge patch of flat forest these bursts of white light were coming out like somebody with a um, with a flashlight was just running through no not a flashlight like a, with a camera just running through the forest just you know popping off a flash you know it looked like somebody just sprinting through the woods hitting a camera trigger and just you know erupting a, f- a flash of light um, and my dad who's a, a really grounded guy um, and a man of science I sat there and kept asking him you know what, what is this and he was, he was, I don't want to say he was scared, but he was definitely mystified of what was going on. You know, as he said, and I remember, he goes, it looks like lightning. You know, it looked like a whole, uh, thunderstorm going off, like underneath the canopy of the trees. And, uh, I thought back, I thought back to this when I saw the white light down there with my buddy, uh, because it was, it was like a flash of light and then it would, it would go off or it looked like it ducked behind trees and it, and it just happened, uh, eventually in rapid succession. Um, but when this happened with my father, uh, we sat there for quite a while watching this and it did not stop. And there were no houses back there. There were no drives. It it was just a a patch of, you know, of empty woods. And, uh, as I said, it really, it was, it was quite a sight. It, It actually looked cool, you know, just to see this dark, dark, big patch of trees and just these bursts of white just coming out. Uh, like I said, like lightning,
0: Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. To learn more, visit entertainmentonepodcast.com.
2: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times.